Well, good morning. We are concluding today our nine-part series in the book of Proverbs, and we've been uh, learning about how God wants us to trust Him more with our lives, and if we trust God more with our lives, it will make our lives work better. And for the last nine weeks, we've talked about that word proverb, and the word proverb means to rule or to... I guess I need to talk about it some more. Uh, The word proverb means to rule or to govern our lives. And proverbs are divine principles that God has given us to help us govern our lives, to help us to live our lives, to help our lives make sense and work better. Proverbs are divine principles to help us, what's the word? Govern our lives, all right? To help us make wise decisions. I read about a young bank clerk that was uh, kind of promoted to vice president, and she was all excited about it, and she's a little intimidated. So she approached the wise old bank president. You know, I don't like that word, wise old, anymore, Brent. But anyways, she approached the wise old bank president, and she said, what's the secret to success in my new position? And she, he said, making right decisions. That's the secret to your success, making right decisions. Well, she asked him, well, what's the secret to making right right decisions. He said, it's experience. Experience. Well, she then asked, well, what's the secret to gaining experience? The president thought, and he smiled, and he said, making wrong decisions. And isn't that the truth? In life, like in banking, the goal is to make right decisions, but to err is human. But to repeat those errors and live the life of what Proverbs calls a fool or what we call a loser is both tragic and unnecessary. So to kind of prevent us from living the life of a loser, to prevent us from living the life of a fool, every single day we've been getting up and we've been reading a different proverb for that day of the week. So this morning we got up and we read Proverbs chapter, what Brent? Proverbs, yes, Proverbs chapter 16, that's right. And um, is that right? That's right, Proverbs chapter 16. Um, And we've been doing this now for about two months, right? About two months. And today is like you can stop if you want to stop. But I want to challenge you and encourage you to, to keep doing it. I did it for two years of my life. Every day, morning and night, I would read a Proverbs because I wanted to take the wisdom of God and I wanted to really get it into my life. So I hope you might keep that discipline of every day reading a Proverbs for the day to really get God's practical wisdom into your life so you can make your life work better so you won't live the life of a loser. All right. Solomon said this in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 2. He said, the purpose of these Proverbs is to teach people, what are the two words? Wisdom and discipline. That's what God wants us to learn. That's the purpose of this book, is to teach us wisdom and discipline. Now, by wisdom, we mean wisdom is seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. Wisdom is not knowledge. It's seeing and responding to life from God's point of view, from God's perspective. It's seeing what is right and then having the discipline to do it. Now Solomon concludes in chapter 1. He's speaking of God's wisdom here. And he picks up, I'm going to pick up at verse 28 of Solomon, uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 1. God's wisdom, God's speaking here. God says this, get this, this is pretty tough. It's pretty harsh, pretty serious. He says, I will not answer when they cry for help. Even though they anxiously search for me, they will not find me. For they hated knowledge and chose not to fear the Lord. 
They didn't want to learn from their mistakes. They rejected my advice. They paid no attention when I corrected them. This is why they must eat the bitter fruit of living their, what's the words? Own way. See, in life, we choose every day to go our way or God's way. And God says, listen, if you want to go your own way, well, then I'll let you go your own way. Do you realize God never sends anybody to hell? Hell was created for the demons and for, this, for Satan. And people choose to go to hell. God doesn't send people to hell. People choose. People choose to go their own way. And if their own way leads to death. Read on here. They must experience the full terror of their path. They have, what's the word? Chosen. For they're simpletons. They're fools. They're losers. Who turn away from me to death. Hades. Hell. They are fools. And their own complacency will will destroy them. This is serious stuff. To err is human. And we can either choose to learn from our mistakes and judgment and to find God and His wisdom, or we can choose to continue down our own path. The path of doing our own thing, going our own way. But every day of our lives, we have a choice to make. We can choose our will or God's will. And the purpose of Proverbs is to teach us to put our faith and trust in God, to go God's way. And if we go God's way, it'll make our life work better. Now, there's a couple verses in Proverbs that I would call, it is the, it kind of summarizes the entire 31 chapters. Probably some of my most favorite or my favorite verses in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. If you've got a Bible, electronic advice, turn with me over to Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to kind of camp out there this morning. Let's begin reading with verse 5. And can we do this? Can we kind of just stand together? Let's read this together uh, from the New International Version. It's on the screen. Let's stand together and let's read this with me. You ready? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Thank you. You may be seated. This is what Proverbs is all about. It's about trusting in the Lord with, what's the word? All your heart. In all your ways acknowledge Him. So we want to talk this morning on what does that look like? How do you trust God in all your ways? How do you trust God in everything? Three thoughts this morning. Number one is this. I need to trust God, first of all, to save me. I need to trust God to save me by giving by giving him my heart. Look at verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You put your faith in God. You put your trust in God. And you trust him with your heart. You know, at a very young age, through the guidance and love of my mother, I put my trust in the Lord. I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. At a very young age, I gave him my heart. With childlike faith, I acknowledged him. I acknowledged my sin, and, and I was a little hellion. You know, I was a little rambunctious, strong-willed, little determined guy. You know, you can tell in that picture. If you look at that picture, doesn't it look like that? You know, um, that was me, you know. And at a young age, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ that he died for me, that he died for my sins. And then I was baptized at the First Baptist Church of Lake Park, Florida, right there on Park Avenue, still there today. 
And that was a defining moment in my young life. A defining moment where with all the faith I had, I put my trust, I put my faith in God. And I remember to watch my faith, it began to grow, and I was a part of a, a group called RAs. How many of you have been a part of RAs or GAs? First service, I couldn't believe all the closet Baptists that we had that had been a part of RAs and GAs. RAs and GAs is kind of like Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts on steroids. And, and that's what it was. And you learn how to tie knots, but you really would learn spiritual truths. And, and every year, we'd go away to camp. And I remember at the age of 11, I went away to camp, and I remember being there with all these boys, and you know, and, and I remember specifically the camp counselor, uh, the camp counselor in our cabin really took an interest in me, and now I kind of understand what he was doing, and he saw me as a leader, and he really sought me out and spent time with me, and I was elected there in my little cabin to be the president or whatever, my little cabin, I don't know what that meant, I don't remember the specifics of it, I just remember being an honor, and I remember every night we'd go to chapel service, you know, we'd have chapel service, and they would preach to us and invite us to give God our hearts, you know, and then the last, last night was the big grand finale, and I remember sitting there, and the preacher was preaching, and I was sitting in my chair, and I began to pray, saying, God, I want to give you my heart. I want to give you all of me. I want to do what you want me to do. And I was sitting there. There's like 200 boys. And those that wanted to make decisions were coming forward. And I was sitting there just praying my heart out. The pastor there, the, the camp pastor said amen. And I looked up and there's me and one other boy left in the room. I got so engrossed in my little prayer, I wasn't even aware what was going on around me. I just said, God, I want to trust you. I want to give you my heart all my heart. Now, some people give all their hearts to God quickly. Others of us, it's a process of time and, and trust. In many ways, our relationship with God is, is kind of like our relationship with each other. It's built with time and with trust. In the ninth grade, I uh, began to date my, my wife, now of 35 years. I was a varsity basketball player and and uh, Jan was the captain of the girls' cheerleading squad, and so we'd be traveling around going to play games, and we'd get a chance to talk and connect, you know. And she was dating my best friend, Donnie Tillman, and I kind of orchestrated. They broke up, and then I was able to kind of like make my move, and, and I asked her to go out on our first date to Palm Beach. What's it called? Palm Beach, uh, Palm Beach Mall. And uh, kind of a cheap date because you'd kind of just go and look, you know. You don't buy anything. Now, if I... Take her to the mall now, it's an expensive date, you know, so I, I don't do that, but kind of frugal back then, you know, and I took her to the mall, and we walked around, and then we took a picture of us sitting on Santa's lap, and I think we saw a movie too, but I couldn't drive. Mom and Dad had to pick us up. We went in a 1972 Plymouth Satellite Station Wagon, you know, and now what would have happened if we would have showed up, or if I would have showed up an hour late? What would have happened if I tried to kiss her on that first date? That's right, I wouldn't be married now, that's right. I would have violated her trust. And then when I really remember about the first year of our relationship, we spent a lot of time on the phone. Now, back in those days, we didn't have cell phones. They didn't exist. We had one phone line, and I would sneak out of my bed and get on the phone and call 848-0991, and we would talk for hours and hours on the phone. And why you talk? What are you doing? You're building trust. You're being vulnerable. You, I'm sharing part of myself to her. Is she going to accept me and trust me? She's sharing part of herself to me. Am I going to accept her and trust her? And over time, we grew that relationship. We grew our trust. And I decided, you know, I wanted to commit my life to her. And so I asked her to be my wife. I wanted to trust her. 
with my life. And she wanted to trust me, which is a crazy, stupid thing, you know. And she said yes, and we got married. And now we've been married for 35 years, and I trust her, and she trusts me. I've given her my heart, and she's given me hers. Trusting the Lord with all your heart is kind of like getting married, in which you give God your heart. You see, intellectually, I knew I wanted to marry her. Emotionally, I felt feelings of love towards her. But I had to say those words, I do. I want to marry you. I want to commit my life to you. It makes a difference. And intellectually this morning, you might believe in the Bible. You might believe there's a God. You might even believe intellectually that Jesus died on the cross. But you've got to do more than just believe it intellectually. Matter of fact, James says the demons believe that there is a God and they shudder. They respect. They know there's a God. And they respect him. And you can know God, but that doesn't mean you trust him. You've got to give him your heart. You can know it intellectually. You might even know it emotionally. You can have feelings of love and appreciation for God and what God has done for you, but you need to say the words, I do. Commitment makes a difference. You've got to put your faith and trust in him. As an act of your will, you have to receive Christ into your life as your Lord and as your Savior, as your forgiver and as your leader. You've got to trust him. You've got to trust him with your heart. John 1.12 says this, Yet some people accepted him and they put their faith in him. In other words, they came to the place where they said, I do. And so he gave them, what's it say? The what? The right. He gave them the privilege, the authority to become the children of God. You see, one of the big misnomers in America, we think if you're born in America that you're a child of God. We think if we're born in a Christian home or a Catholic family that we're a child of God. That's not what the Bible teaches The Bible says once you believe and put your faith and trust in him, once you really give God your heart, then you're given the authority, then you're given the ability, then you become a child of God, all right? So it's a choice you make of giving him your heart, of putting your trust in him. Romans 10, 13 says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, anyone, will be saved, will be saved from their foolishness, from living the life of a loser, from the consequences of their bad choices. Yes, to err is human, but forgiveness is ours if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ alone to save us. And some of you this morning on your own spiritual journey, you need to make that commitment. You need to make that choice this morning. You need to trust God to save you by giving him your heart number two i need to trust god to lead me by giving god my soul look at verse five again trust in the lord with all your heart and lean not read it with me on your own understanding now what does that mean What does it mean not to lean on your own understanding does that mean as you become a christian you're supposed to throw away your brain And not think anymore as a Christian. You're supposed to maybe ignore your own instincts and your past experiences and decision making. Is that what it means to be a Christian? That Christians are just, you know, they just live a life of blind faith and they don't think anymore? That's not what it's saying here. God gave us a brain and God expects us to use it. Some of us need to use it a little more, okay? But God gave us a brain and we need to use it. God is encouraging us to let him be our leader 
to let him be the final authority of our lives, to lean on him, to depend upon him, to depend upon his will and his understanding, his way, not just our way. See, the truth is, whether we want to admit it or acknowledge it or not, our human perspective is always limited. Our human perspective is always limited. We need a larger perspective. We need a divine perspective. We need God's input and decision-making in our lives. Bill Hybels, in his masterful book called Making Life Work, he shares the story, and he was a pilot himself, and he, uh, he's flown all over the place, and he talks about 20 veteran pilots that they took, and they put them in a flight simulator, and they instructed those guys to do whatever they could to keep their airplane under control based on their own instincts based upon how they felt, based upon what they thought they should do. And many of us, we kind of go through life, you know, making decisions based upon how we think and how we thought. So he said, all right, guys, these are 20 veteran pilots. They put them in these simulators, and all 20 veteran pilots crashed and killed themselves within an average of 178 seconds. It took seasoned pilots less than three minutes to destroy themselves on intuition alone they needed a larger perspective they needed the navigation gauges that helps them to know where to go and know the altitude of the plane and just like pilots need the gauges we need a larger perspective we need God's perspective we need to let God be the leader and the director of our lives got to give God our soul got to lean on him you know, another defining moment in my life was when I was in college. I think we had a picture here of me and Tommy, and I went to a school called Crichton College, and uh, we used to have to go to chapel. It was kind of something like you had to do, you know, and I remember one time going to chapel, and I think that was kind of a wacky day that day. We were trying, you noticed Tommy there, we were trying to dress weird or something, I don't know. We looked like a bunch of losers, that's right, um, but we were having fun. And one time, I remember this chapel service, we had a, a guy that was a missionary, and he was like the director of a mission department in Latin America, and he came to chapel, and he was speaking, and while he was speaking, he passed out this card. It was a white card with blue ink, and on that card, it said, Jesus, anytime, Lord Jesus, anytime, anywhere, any place, I'm yours. And then there was a line for us to write our name in, and I remember sitting there hearing him speak, holding that card. And reading it, Lord Jesus, anytime, anywhere, any place, I'm yours. Am I willing to trust Christ? Am I willing to trust God with my soul? Am I willing to be all in? Am I willing to lean on God more? To lean on his word more? To lean on his truth more? That day in chapel, I kind of gave God my soul. I said, God, you know what? I'm all in. I'm all in. Anytime, anywhere, any place, I'm yours. If that means Latin America to do missions, if that means Africa, anytime, anywhere, any place, I am yours. I'm going all in. I'll give you my heart and I give you my soul. You know, this church about a year ago, we took what was called the tithing challenge. And many of you said, you know what, I'm going to step all in. I'm going to give God my soul. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to put God first. And I believe this church is here today because so many of you stepped forward and said, I believe in God, I have faith in God, and I'm going to give. 
we gave God our souls. And it made a huge difference in the life of our church. It's amazing the way God has blessed us in the midst of adversity. Because we gave God our souls. And I began, you know, I began that, that adventure of faith. And I shudder to think what would have happened if I said, you know, God, I really think I want to do it my way. My time. My place. But I said, God, I give you my heart, my soul. Anytime, anywhere, any place, I am yours. Please hear me, my friends. Give God's leadership a try. Human understanding is always limited. We always need deeper insight, broader perspective than human wisdom alone. Some of you this morning, you need to come to a defining moment in which you put your trust in God and you stop trusting so much in yourselves and you begin to live under the authority of God. You begin to live under the authority and the teachings of Jesus Christ in the Bible. You give God your, your heart and your soul. You put your trust in him. You say, Lord Jesus, anytime, anywhere, any place, I'm yours. So I need God, I need to trust God to save me. I need to trust God to lead me. And then I, number three, I need to trust God to guide me. To guide me by giving him my will. Look at verse six. And what's that word again? In all your ways, all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Now circle or underline that word all. All in the Hebrew means all. It means every aspect of your life. You need to acknowledge him. You need to acknowledge his wisdom. You need to acknowledge his insights. You need to acknowledge his understanding in every area of your life. You see that too many of us, we kind of go through life kind of being stubborn and stupid. I don't know of any other better words to describe it. But we're just kind of stubborn and stupid. We've got to learn everything the hard way. And we would save ourselves from a boatload of pain and frustration and difficulties in life if we would just submit our heart and our will to God and lean on His understanding. So much of the pain and frustration we have in our life because we're prideful, because we're stubborn and we're stupid. Don't eat the bitter fruit of living life your own way. If we give God our will, if we trust God, he will guide us. And he makes this promise. What's the promise of the last part of verse 6? In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths what? Straight. Now what does it mean? God's going to make your path straight. Does that mean that we'll live healthy, wealthy, happy lives with no pain? Does that mean that God will make us comfortable, popular, and thin? No. Does it mean that God becomes some type of genie in the bottle, you know, whenever we want something, that God exists for our favor and our pleasure and our purposes and we just rub the bottle and boof, you know? No. What it means that we will live for God's purposes, that God will bring purpose to our life. He will make our path. He will bring meaning and purpose and direction to our life. He'll bring focus to our lives. He'll bring fulfillment to our lives. And isn't that what we want? More than anything else, don't we want a job that fulfills us? Don't we want a marriage, a relationship, or a home, or a family that brings purpose and meaning and fulfillment? It says here, if we put our trust in him, if we submit our will to his will, he will make our path straight. He'll guide us through the valleys, and sometimes he'll guide us around the valleys, but he'll guide us. 
and we'll be on the right path. He will kind of work all things together for our good as we acknowledge him, as we follow his will and his direction rather than our own. And you know, that's exactly what God has done for our church. He has been so faithful over these 29 years. I mean, he has supernaturally provided for us. I mean, we ended up with, you know, 47 acres right here on PGA, the most coveted piece of property in the whole North County, some little church owned. And we sold that, some of that property and got site plan approval. And we ended up with about 11.4 acres of land free with a parking garage and with the infrastructure, all that stuff for free. I mean, God was so good as we trusted in Him. Back in 2008 or 2006, we began to build this home, 50,000 square foot building. cost about $12 million. And now with our settlement with the bank, we have a balance of about $6 million. God has been so good. He's been so faithful. And I really believe as a church family that we are at a defining moment in the life of our church. We have an opportunity to uh, join forces with Family Church and to form a strategic partnership of working together with another church in our area. About six years ago, I got to know a, a guy in the area. His name is Jimmy Scroggins. He's the pastor there. We became very, very good friends. Our staff have gone on retreats together. We've been spending a lot of time together. And about three years ago, I've got a group of pastors. We meet together once a month. And about three years ago, I, I, I had this premonition and I said hey guys can we get together and I know what we normally do when we get together can we get together I just want to kind of want to share my heart and as I look across America and I see the churches that are succeeding and doing well they're joining forces they're working together and I went to visit some of those churches and I came back and said where's Palm Beach Community Church going to be 10 years from now 20 years from now do you think we could join forces and really begin to work together that we could go further, faster in sharing the gospel together. I met with those guys, and one of the guys there was this pastor, Jimmy Scroggins, from Family Church downtown. Used to be known as First Baptist Church of West Palm Beach. And he was the last guy in the group, I thought, would say, yeah. And uh, Jimmy said, yeah, that's what we're trying to do right now. We'd love to partner together. And so we began that relationship, and our staff began to hang out with them, began to understand their system. And I am so convinced that working together, we can have better children's ministry, that we can do a better job of quality training our kids. We can have a better student ministry and better summer camps. I'm so convinced that we can have better worship services. And so we've been moving forward and forming this strategic partnership. We're talking about they have a, a church in Abacoa called Family Church of Abacoa, a church of about 400 that meets up there in the theater um, at uh, FAU. And we're talking about them coming here, becoming a part of us, and us inviting them and sharing them in and creating space for them. And I know that's hard for some of you because, you know, you come to church every Sunday and you have your seat. And now somebody else could be in your seat, you know. Or you got your parking space. And if this place is full, you're going to have to, you know, maybe not park where you might, might always park. You might have to park a little bit farther away. And uh, we've got to change, you know. But I am convinced in my heart, and the elders are convinced, that we are better together. And Lord willing, with our combined resources, we can be debt-free of that $6 million by Christmas of next year. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be great to put that behind us, you know? 
And as you leave this morning, we've got a, a handout, a questionnaire, uh, a Q&A piece that we've given you to read. And as you read this, I know you can have more questions, and please send those questions to us. Uh, they'll hand it to you. It's not your program as you leave. They'll hand it to you. And this is a process we're going to be going through over the next month. And we want your feedback. We want your input. Um, so please get that, read that, take the time to really understand it. And again, as always, I want you to hear it from me first. And, and, um, and I wanted to kind of share where we are. We're in that process. And I think that will really answer a lot of questions. But, you know, I haven't been so excited about our church and our future in years. I am so excited about what God's doing. I'm so excited that we're going to join forces and we're going to be better together. See, what happens, you got a group of pastors. We get together, you know, on Tuesday, and all six of us, and we work on the message. You don't think the message would be better? You know, you t have denomination stuff. They don't work together. We're talking about really working together. We're talking about all the, the student pastors getting together and working on their lesson to be teaching our kids that week. And our children's pastors and children's leaders getting together and working together. I, I am so convinced that synergy takes place and that we're better together. But, you know, it's hard to do that because of pride. We all want to do our own thing. But we got to trust the Lord. we got to surrender our will. And I know the last several years have been frustrating. Some of you have been so faithful and so patient. But God has been miraculously working behind the scenes to make our path straight. And may all the praise and glory go to him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I need to trust God to save me. I need to trust God to lead me. I need to trust God to guide me. Now, what will keep us and what keeps you from fully trusting the Lord? What's going to keep us as a church from fully trusting the Lord and joining in this strategic partnership? Well, Solomon knows. Let's read on in, in uh, Proverbs chapter 3. Let's pick up reading with verse 7, and we're going to see what keeps us from fully trusting the Lord. Verse 7 says this, Do not be wise in your own eyes, Fear the Lord, what's the next phrase? Shun evil, and this will bring health to your bodies and nourishment to your bones. Excuse me for one second. <coughs> Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Two things that will keep us from fully trusting the Lord. Two things right now in your life that's keeping you from fully trusting the Lord. Pride and perspective. Number one is pride. Look at verse 7 again. Do not be wise in your own eyes. What's going to keep us from trusting in the Lord? We become wise in our own eyes. Do you know what was the biggest thing that was keeping me from the potential strategic partnership with uh, Family Church? It's my pride. My pride in feeling like I failed my pride. My pride was standing in the way of this incredible opportunity to go further, faster, and reaching more families for Christ. Because so often we think we know best. So often we think, you know, I know what to do. God says we need to humble ourselves. We need to put our faith and our trust not in ourselves, but in Him. The second thing that stands in the way from us fully trusting God is our perspective Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, honor the Lord with your what? 
Now, what's he talking about here? He's talking about your income with your job. He's talking about putting God first, putting God first in your, in, in your resources, putting God first. So honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. A lot of people back then were farmers. And as they had a crop came in, they'd put God first. They'd give God the first 10%. They're talking about tithing. It's talking about our giving here. And you see, Solomon goes right to the core issue. Solomon goes right to the heart of the matter. Why don't we trust God more with our lives? It's our perspective. Our perspective gets in the way. We think, you know, me, 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 mine, 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 mine. This is my church. This is my house. This is my money. It's our perspective. So what is your perspective in life? Do you see yourself as a king or do you see yourself as a steward? Think about that. I mean, what is a king? A king is someone with what? Power, with authority. Someone who's in control. Now let's be honest. Do you see yourself as kind of like the king of your own life? That you've got power and authority and control? I mean, do you really believe that you're ultimately in control? Or is God in control? Do you really own your stuff? Or someday God's going to what? He's going to own it all. Whose church is it? Is it my church? Is it your church? Or is it God's church? What's your perspective? Do you see yourself as the king, that you're in control of your life? Or do you see yourself as a steward? Now, what is a steward? A steward is someone who lives with what? Open hands. Steward is a what? A servant. Open heart. Willing to help others. Someone who wants to leverage their life to do all the good they possibly can do. Solomon was wise. He was the king. But yet he saw himself, he had the perspective at this point in his life, that he was a steward. He saw himself as a servant of God. He saw himself as a servant to the people. He had the right perspective. He realized that all power and authority he had had come to him from God. And it all belongs to God. And he was supposed to manage it wisely. You see, as long as we see ourselves as king, we can't trust God in everything. As long as you see yourself as king, you can't trust God. Bless you. <laughs> you know, in many of our lives, we have a lot of frustration. You know why we have frustration in our life? Because we're living the life of a king. We're frustrated in life and frustrated through life because we want to be in control. Pride and perspective. And we live our life frustrated because we want to control people, we want to control circumstances, we want to control situations, and we can't. And we need to quit living life as a king and start living our lives as a servant. A servant is one who gives God our heart, our soul, our mind, and our will. Let's take off the crown of pride and change our perspective to the one of a steward. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Put God first, and He will make your path straight. 
I invite you this morning to give God your heart, to give God your soul, and to give God your will. Quit living your life as the king and begin to live your life as a steward. Can we pray? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, can you take off the crown of pride? Can you right now put your trust in God? This morning, can you give God your heart? Can you pray and say, God, I acknowledge my sin. I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save me from the consequences of my sin. I give you my heart. Give God your heart this morning. Give God your heart. Put your faith and trust in Him. Let this be a defining moment in your life. Give Him your heart. Trust Him. Give Him your soul. Can you pray this morning and say, Lord Jesus, anytime, anywhere, any place, I'm yours. I'm all in. I'm yours. Give God your soul. Give God yourself. All of yourself. (coughs) And can you give God your will? Can you pray this morning and say, God, I submit my will to yours. God, I take off the crown of pride and I change my perspective to living as a steward, not as a king. I humble myself. I want to serve you every day of my life. And can you pray for our church right now? Can you thank God for making our path straight? For his faithful provision as we put our trust and our faith in him. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, for your goodness. We thank you, Father, for the way you want to make our life work better. Lord, help us to humble ourselves. Help us to not lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways to acknowledge and to put our faith and trust in you. And God, we thank you this morning for your faithfulness, for your goodness, for your provision for us. You are such an incredibly good God, and you are so worthy of all our trust. God, we give you our heart, our soul, and our will this morning. May we be a church that honors you in all we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.